Our special guests this week are Jeremy Sladen and Darren Tyler, who join us for a discussion of government wolves and Christian shepherds and how to tell the difference. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and with my good friend Gary Humble, this is the Freedom Matters Podcast. Why? Why? It's, I, I know the song, but you're asking me who it is, and this is the challenge. Oh, that's uh, Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. I just okay. had to hear the. Now give me more. Ooh, it's, it's not about. Is it serve somebody? Gotta serve somebody. Yeah. Man, Gary, I'm really impressed. Oh, thank God, I got one. That was good. <laughs> so, um, you guys know the history of this song. I know a lot about Bob Dylan's uh, spiritual journey, but I, I don't know the history of this yeah. song. Yeah, I mean, this, this, this is fascinating. So this song came out in 1979, and when he was recording this record, what's his name uh, from Dire Straits? Uh, Mark Knopfler played guitar on this record, and he had no idea it was going to be a Christian record, like full of Christian lyrics. Mm. And he calls back the record company and says, um, this whole record's about Jesus. <laughs> they said, yeah, we know. Keep playing it, keep playing it. So record comes out, and this was the first single, and it was a number one single on the album. But what's fascinating about this song, Gotta Serve Somebody, is that, remember, it came out in 79. John Lennon was assassinated in 1980. John Lennon spent the last year of his life obsessing over this song. (laughs) And he wrote a parody, in fact, like 12 different versions of a parody of this song, he titled it Gotta Serve Yourself. Some of it's really vulgar. And so you can tell spiritually it really bothered John Lennon, right? Got to the heart of the matter. And Bob Dylan, for his part, people are like, why are you writing lyrics about God now? And he's like, I can't not do it. He's, he, was, he was scared to do it, but hmm. he felt that was the call on his heart. He only went to Bible school for four months. Like they made him, they're like, if you're going to write, I think, I forget which... Um, whether he was associated with Calvary, I may be wrong about that, but he was associated with some some church pulled him in and convinced him that he needs to, if he's going to be speaking on the gospel, about which he had no connection prior to that, that he needed to spend some time in the Word. And there you have it. It's in hmm. my view, and, and so here I, I, I'm, I'm talking with <laughs> Darren and Jeremy, and our audience doesn't know who I'm talking to. We have guests. Yeah, we have guests. Because <laughs> we're not on video yet. Yeah, that's, just, that's right. We gotta, Sorry. We're always building the theater of the mind. Which we love, uh, which is going to go away when we video. That's well, yeah, it's true. For those those who, who <laughs> those who subscribe, pay, those who subscribe <laughs> eventually won't. won't so we haven't talked about that yet. Yeah. We just said it. But. More on that later. But I'll say one more thing, and that is that in my view, that this record. Uh, so, Jeremy, what you don't know about me, but Darren does. I've spent my entire business life in the Christian music industry. I'm an entertainment lawyer. I do not think there is a more compelling. I would say this is the best Christian record ever written because the lyrics are so direct. What do you think, Darren? Well, I think it's a bold move, but you could probably whiteboard it out and yeah. prove it. Hmm. Yeah, it was 79, though. 1979. Wow. I think it was on the same album. There's another song on there called Saved. And uh, I've been saved by the blood of the Lamb. <laughs> and we we actually used – I went to Bible college at uh, in Pensacola, Florida, where uh, – if you know Lyndall Cooley, oh yeah, was the worship we talked guy. about that. I used to I represented and, uh, him a little bit, and huh. so that that was one of the uh, 
songs we did like the whole time I was in school was was saved by Bob Dylan, which is how I found out that Bob Dylan actually had a Christian album. Yeah. So kind of yeah, the name of that album is Slow Train Coming. Mm. That's the album, and there's I, I've just been introducing it to my children, most of whom are adults, and and I'm like, you've got to listen to this record. It's really compelling. So anyway, that's our that's our musical introduction. Uh, Gary, I'll let you introduce our guests before I before I soliloquy. Before we have a soliloquy. <laughs> <laughs> well, good friend of mine, Jeremy Sladen. We've known each other for a bit since we've been fighting the good fight here in Williamson County in Tennessee, and and uh, of course, Jeremy's done quite a bit since I, I forgot. We I, you know actually you brought that up. We had you on the show. Yeah, a, about while a year back. ago. Yeah, right at the beginning of the Russia Ukraine conflict. Yeah, we talked mm-hmm. about that. Well, you yeah. reminded me. We you know Jeremy was really talking about all the bio labs and everything that was going, and he had a whole map laid out of where all these things were. And I was like, oh, well, that makes a lot more sense. While we're just yeah, I pulled mm-hmm. out the rug under from you guys because y- y'all were like shedding tears for the you know the Ukrainians yeah. and showing pictures, and I was like, come on, there's maybe more. There's, there's <laughs> Gary maybe wouldn't have been doing. There's that. maybe more to the story. You know. <laughs> He's exaggerating. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Nonetheless, the sentiment certainly has changed since then. And uh, but Jeremy's got a channel called J Slay USA, very active on Instagram, Rumble, all the things, and uh, just appreciate the work he's done. And of course, Darren Tyler here is a pastor at Conduit Church. Uh, right? Is that right? That's yeah. the one. And uh, I love how you say that, Gary. Conduit. Yeah. Is, <laughs> Instead of conduit, he says conduit. Conduit. Well, I'm from South. We, I'm from South, South Louisiana. <laughs> yeah. We. You know, I say like water and dollar bill and different. Say and, and make groceries. Yeah, and we save the dishes. Yeah, we talked about this. <laughs> so, That's definite Cajun going there. <laughs> but uh, and uh, just just another guy I appreciate here locally. That's uh, you know, uh, a pastor yet not afraid to tackle the the issues you know that we're dealing with. And so there was a there was a conversation that kind of began at an event that Jeremy went to. He asked a question. He sent me the clip and I thought we should really have a discussion. And I thought it'd be great to have a, a pastor here to do yeah. that with and just expound <laughs> on the conversation. So do you want us keep setting that up or or is your yeah. soliloquy going to sort of do that? I, I think I think you'll you'll gather our so- soliloquy will do this. Okay. Yeah, as I was looking last night, Jeremy, and learning a little bit about you beyond your baseball career, I started thinking, I, I, I thought, I've got something in my notes from the past that kind of will set the table for this. So actually what I'm going to read is a couple paragraphs from an essay that I had written. I, I was at an event 10 years ago with the Green family, um, Hobby Lobby. Right. Remember when they were dealing with their lawsuit? Mm-hmm. And in this room... There were questions, and and, and the, by the way, to set it up better, Steve Green, head of Hobby Lobby, was uh, at the dais that day, and he was being uh, interviewed at, by the Heritage Foundation. It actually was in New Orleans. Okay. Um, so there, that kind of ties a it's little New, bow on New that. New Orleans. Yeah. And the the date of the event was between when the arguments had been made, but before they heard um, and, and got the opinion from the court. And so the last question of that day, a a girl to my right, and I was just going kind of going through my notes and texting, um, going through the questions, and then my ears sparked because a girl said, what will you do if the Supreme Court holds against you? Uh, what if you lose this case? And his answer always resonated with me. He said, I don't know, but we will not comply. Now, this is before we knew that they actually won that case, mm-hmm. 
but I was inspired by his courage, and, uh, and then it led to this. So this will give us our setup for our discussion. Over the previous decade, especially following the election of Barack Obama, my heart had grown increasingly discouraged by the lack of any meaningful resistance to what was proving to be a stunning and rapid expansion of government into all areas of our lives. What began with subtle nibbles around the margins now devours the center of the canvas. The fabric of America lay in tatters and shreds, the handiwork of a usurping executive unrestrained by traditional checks. Yet those who stand to lose the most seem almost self-paralyzed, unwilling to concede that throwing a few good apples into a bushel of rotten ones only makes for a greater quantity of rotten apples. The entrenched political class is thoroughly corrupt. The influence of a few new candidates is marginal and brief. Moreover, the American people have lost the fighting spirit that animated our founders and which is indispensable to liberty. Neutralized by endless entertainment, government largesse, and a stunning complacency that our name, history, and geographic location will somehow insulate us from consequences, our fellow citizens are too willing to abide by the laws of the land, no matter how imposed and no matter how far those decrees stray from our values. William Butler Yeats was prescient. He said, things fall apart, the center cannot hold, mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Hmm. The best lack all conviction. Our present situation arises from our apathy more than from the prowl of the enemy. Safety and security, and their byproduct, liberty, are found not in the absence of tyrants, but rather in resistance to them. Tyrants and usurpers are nothing new. In fact, they are so old and recurring that they have become incredibly boring. Yet in our blind pursuit of comfort at all costs, we fail to recognize them. And even when given a glimpse, we show no stomach to the fight. Upon close inspection, it is evident that the church is central to the problem. A cursory glance will not reveal this, of course, because the church, the body of Christ, has blended into and become so much a part of the American culture that it is virtually unrecognizable. The church, in fact, has lost its willingness to live differently in and among the culture into which God has placed it, operating under the pretense that it may secretly keep the truth inside the walls of its buildings, inside the Christian community, inside the home, and inside the heart and mind. This has consequences. There can be no political freedom nor then any good government without the church. In fact, the church alone possesses the moral authority to oppose the totalitarian claims of governmental authorities. So the church, however, must be the church. It can't allow its authority to be corrupted by the culture or co-opted by the state. In America, the church was most effective when it was alive and active. The Black Robe Brigade provided the moral leadership for the American Revolution. <clears throat> On issues of liberty and government, it was Reverend Jonas Clark who supplied the intellectual firepower to his hometown of Lexington, Massachusetts, writing for years in defense of liberty and instructing his congregation about the roots of their unalienable rights. On April 18, 1775, Clark was visited by Samuel Adams and John Hancock. When his famous houseguests inquired as to whether the people of Lexington would fight to preserve liberty, Clark exclaimed, 
I have trained them for this very hour. And so it was the next morning on the lawn of that church pastored by Jonas Clark that the first shots of the war for independence rang forth, prompting Clark to prophetically announce, from this day will be dated the liberty of the world. Mm. That's good. Did you write that? I did. Fantastic. Thank you. Kudos. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so leading into that, Jeremy, I think it'd be great to start if you just sort of start by framing up your question. <clears throat> sure. If if you can recall yeah. sort of what you asked and the way you asked it. It was at a it was recently here in Franklin there was a turning point faith event and right. you asked a poignant question and that's kind of where I'd like to start. Sure. Well, you know, you've got two local pastors of which I respect, right? This meant no disrespect against them. Um, and it was at a turning point event, which is an organization that I respect. I think they try to seek truth mm-hmm. um, and they try to, to, to preach an active uh, American society. And, you know, as I listened, though, they, they named the problem, the problems in society that are, that are really bad at this point. I mean, evil stuff that's being pushed down our throat from a lot of directions. And you've got a group of people in there that are basically asking one question, what can we do? What do we do, right? And what I heard, though, in terms of solutions was a lot of the things that I'll hear at a lot of those events. Love your enemies, pray for your enemies, speak the truth, even to your own hurt. Which we need to do. Absolutely, right? So there's no disagreement there. But that group that wants to be activated, maybe they're doing it 80% as well as they could, but they know that message, right? We can all do better. However, there comes a point where it's like, if, if you know that the water that your family's drinking is being poisoned day after day after day after day. Do you continue to pray for the poisoner or do you go do something about it? Like at what point? Because you don't get a vote on it anymore. And so I I asked that question. And when I got up, you know, and I was nervous. And I was nervous for the same reason that I was nervous walking into this room at this table. Because I've sat down with men that I respect and that that I've loved for my whole life much older than me, that sat across from me at a table and will say, Jeremy, what you're doing with your cultural beliefs and your activism is dead wrong. Read Romans 13. And, and it goes back over and over and over again. There's, there's family members that I no longer— Obey the government. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's hard. So when I walk in today, I'm like, well, my pastor's going to be there. Gary Humble's going to be there. He's got a public face, you know. Like, and, 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 but you I, weren't scared of me because you didn't know I me. didn't know you, right, which actually makes me very scared. So I'm not usually afraid, but like every day it, with what I'm doing feels a little bit like a battle, and you guys know something about that. So I'm thinking, okay, I don't want to overstep, but I want to I tell the truth. So I appreciate you giving me an opportunity to set it up. But yeah, I just, I, I, I thought, okay, and to be fair, this, the two scripture verses that I brought up, if anybody watches the video on my channel, I was just, what, what's, a, what's a verse that has some violence from the New Testament, you know, <laughs> so that may not have been applicable, but I wanted to bring up two, and, and here's the two. One was, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence since the days of John the Baptist, and the violent take it by force, right? What does that mean? That's for another debate. But it's basically saying the kingdom of heaven is going to suffer violence from the days of John the Baptist until now. The other one was, and I believe it was from the uh, the night of the Lord's Supper right before Jesus' death, I'm sending you out as a sheep among wolves. And, you know, it, it, does any of you have a sword? If not, go sell your purse and buy one. And I think they said, we have two. And he said, that'll be enough. Now, was that symbolic? Probably. Did it also have a meaning of, hey, you're going to have to protect yourself in this world because even though you're going to have the spirit when I depart, it is going to be a violent world full of wolves. And you guys, your, your sheep meant to follow me, 
be able to defend yourself. That that's the way I take it in a two part way: a fulfillment of prophecy, but also like be able to defend yourself when you need to. I dig it both ways. Am I a theologian? By no means. But I got up and I, I laid out those scriptures and I just said, guys, here's the situation. Less than a few miles away, you know, we we we've got you know, Vanderbilt and other institutions bragging about how much money that they are going to make off these top and bottom surgeries, which really is, is uh, child mutilation. Mm-hmm. And, it, and I said, we've got abortion that's rampant, 60 million. But if you really believe that's murder, I guarantee you if it was two-year-old kids, we'd be approaching it differently. So do we partly believe what the world believes about abortion? That as long as it's inside the woman, I guess it's really not really murder because for us, we'd be do some, doing something about it. So I, I laid some different points out there and there's many, many more that could be talked about. And I basically said, at what point do we move beyond pray harder, love them more and vote harder? Because I truly believe that at the federal level, the establishment is not going to give up their power. The phrase I often say is, if you're willing to mutilate a child and call it affirmation, then you'd be willing to steal an election and call it democracy. Yeah, so the vote harder part may not work. Yeah, the vote harder. And I'll tell you another thing, and then I'll, I'll shut up. But um, if I was somebody of the establishment or on the side of evil, wanting to steal, kill, and destroy, it would be a great tactic for me to, to it, it, would be, it would be like the game would be already won. If I knew that my opposition, all that they are willing to do is sit back and pray for me, and I can lie to them. I don't have to play by any of their rules. I can lie to them. I can tell them I'm a Presbyterian. I can tell them I'm a Baptist. I can tell them all these things, but behind the scenes, I worship a dark Lord, either consciously or subconsciously. And all I've got to do is lie to the people over and over and over again and use the levers of media and big tech and all that to get them to believe it because I understand mind control. And the Christian people will just pray for me and wait upon the rapture to fix things. So I just said, when, when, when do we step over that line and say, I'm going to do something? And I got back, you know, a few different answers, but one of them in particular I've thought about a lot was he said, and it sounded really good. He said, you know, Jeremy, if we would just teach biblical masculinity, we wouldn't be having these problems. We yeah. wouldn't have. Yeah, I heard that part. And at first it's like, yeah, that sounds right. But then I'm thinking every family in here is trying to teach their kid biblical masculinity. I think if you taught biblical masculinity, you'd have a lot more guys like me in this line asking the same question because the opposite side, they're not teaching that. They've captured these institutions, the educational community, on and on and on. What, what it would create is a greater divide. But sometimes, you know, peace at any price is a pathway to hell, you know, and I think that's kind of where we're at is let's just have unity and I'm not saying everybody, but a large segment of the Christian community is in this tug of war with people, you know, like minded like myself that are saying, whoa, 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 you can't ever go there. Don't ever think that way. Oh, well, that's true in general with much of the church that's adopted the social justice gospel. I mean, that's, that's just the, the mainstay of the church is not only adopting a uh, pray harder, that's they're, they're also adopting kind of a let's go with it. They're buying the lies of culture in large part. So. We're, we're not only fighting the churches in action, potentially, we're also fighting the church's ignorance in, yeah. in, in adopting completely anti-gospel-centric you know, messaging from yeah. culture. There's, so. a, there's a big overlap in those two, the churches that have bought into the social gospel movement and those that have not, but there's this just complete passivism 
approach to things. Which, which certainly, Darren's church is not one of those churches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, no. I mean, and because, you know, Jeremy, you mentioned uh, Romans 13, and that's a passage that has been thrown in my face a lot the last couple of years. Interestingly, though, uh, so our church is very, very globally focused, and we have broken laws on pretty much every continent with the exception of Antarctica. Um, <laughs> have you been? Not yet. It's only it's not for lack of trying. And no one, like when we're smuggling Bibles into Iran or rescuing slaves out of Asia, like no one ever sent me a Romans 13 uh-huh. email ever. Right. It wasn't until we reopened in uh, May of 2020 that all of a sudden everybody was Romans 13-ing me. The, the thing that's important about Romans 13 is, you know, Paul talks about the governing authorities that are there for our good. And, and the idea is um, the differentiation between right and wrong and between legal and illegal. So he's talking about obeying laws that are just laws, right and wrong. And so, like, for instance, in our world, abortion is legal as it is. Well, different states, different whatever. But but that's so that legal, illegal is different than right and wrong. That is a an abhorrently evil practice, mm-hmm. even though it is legal. And so we view it as what is right and what is wrong. And look, it's Martin Luther King, letters from a Birmingham jail. We know laws are just or unjust, you know, not, uh, and, and if it is an unjust law, then we, we ought to rise up against it. And so the question is, it's kind of twofold, isn't it, Jeremy? Because the question is, when do we do something? And then the other question is, and, and what do we do? Right. And Those are not uh, mutually exclusive questions, but they are two different questions. Yeah. And I'll say this, and, and I'll speak to it later if you guys want me to, but I've had some great feedback from that video on Instagram. And if anybody wants to see it, go to J Slay USA. You can, you can find it has something, it said the title is something to do with, um, will, would Christians, um, ever fight against evil? And it shows mm-hmm. kind of a, like a, a knight or something standing there. Kind of a, kind of a, uh, Monty Python. Yeah. <laughs> knight looking. I was trying to go cooler than Monty Python, but yeah, that captures it. <laughs> Um, but, you know, I got a lot of good feedback and ideas that my bonehead, you know, I, I'm thinking, man, the founding fathers would have been stacking bodies by now. That, and that that phrase that I ended the question with, I think that's probably what scared, the, you know, the pastors on stage into giving me kind of the canned answer. But that uh, I remember that. And that's exactly what you said. You said man, I think the founders would be stacking bodies right now. Would they not? Yeah. I mean, yeah, with, with yeah. What's happening with kids and our families. Yeah. Right. And it got a little laugh, but it was also kind of like, oh, where's this guy going? So, yeah. you know, the pastor, uh, Ian, he wouldn't mind me saying Ian Gilchrist. He he uh, came up to me later and he said, hey, man, like he was actually way more with kind of my mindset yeah. than, than he let on. But he had to get to know me first. He said, I don't want to be the, the pastor that some guy like you that I don't know is waiting to greenlight him to go perform an act of violence against his perceived enemies. I can't be that guy. Yeah. And I said, man, I okay, I guess that. Because no one in an audience is trying to entrap anybody in their in their answers <laughs> or in their speech. That's not happening. Yeah, exactly. But um, what I was trying to say is um, I got a lot of good feedback from folks that said, you know, I am totally ready to step into this, but here's some ideas that don't have to do with violence but that also doesn't have to do with voting. And it's, it mirrors a lot of what the other side would do. This is going to sound crazy. Vetted societies that are secretive in nature that will do things to ensure that results get done. Okay, I'm going to leave it like that. But not violent, not bloodshed, 
but people using what they know in technology in their career, et cetera, with utilities, electricity, water. Um, not, again, no one gets hurt, but it sends a strong message. And I was like, hmm, there's something there, but you would definitely have to vet all of the different communities and it would take a little while to build. I'm sure this is going on in other places or maybe even here and I don't know about it. But um, I, 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 last thing I'll say is I was shocked at the amount of uh, dudes and their wives even that reached out to me saying, so respect your question and we're where you are. Like we have to do something and they're tired of waiting around. But no one ever knows what to do. Can I, is the issue, I think. I know, that's right. And you say that, again, theater of the mind, right? The way you say that gives gives the clear impression that that's kind of a um, sarcastic response, right? Because people say they don't know what to do, but it's more they don't have the courage, or often they don't have the courage to actually do what in their heart of hearts they know they should do, right? And it's easy to say that. Can I add something on Romans 13? Because I spent a lot of time thinking about that when I wrote an apologetic for liberty, sorry, it ends up being like two things I wrote today, but do you mind? <laughs> because if you, <clears throat> rather than shooting off the cuff, it's better if I read this footnote. If a man enters my home, kills me, rapes my wife, and declares himself to be the head of the household, are my children obligated to obey the usurper as their father? What if something similar happens in government? Are people bound to the decrees of a temporary master who steals power to rule over them? The scriptures abound with examples of the necessity of disobeying, as Darren was talking about, illegitimate authority, mm -hmm. including the prophets who were killed for their disobedience, the apostles, and Jesus our Lord, who, remember, was crucified for testifying to the truth of the ultimate authority over and above the power of the Roman state. A lot of people don't realize that crucifixion, it's a political crime, right? They would have been, he would have been stoned by the Jews. They couldn't crucify him. They couldn't kill him. So they go to the state and say, please kill him for us. It was a political crime. And yet we have the church saying, I can't get involved in politics. What are you talking about? Everything about our Lord hinges on the church-state question. <clears throat> and his cousin that. John the Baptist was killed for telling Herod and his wife that they were— right in sin for yeah. killing his wife and yeah. marrying his niece. Exactly. Like John the Baptist did not get the memo <clears throat> that we weren't allowed to say anything to politicians. And and think of all of, I'll come back to this and, and finish, but, but you're right, Darren, think of all of the <clears throat> disciples except for John, right? All of them were martyred and they tried to martyr John, right? Didn't they stick him in yeah. a vat of boiling yeah, oil? Yeah, it didn't take. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't, which I don't understand other than by the grace of God. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so, then this was my admonition. To our fellow believers who naively suggest that Paul's admonition to obey the governing authorities in Romans 13, Romans 13 requires an unqualified obedience regardless of whether the authorities came to their position legitimately or governed with legitimate power, <clears throat> it must be emphasized that in America we do not have a king. In America, as so plainly described in our founding documents, the people— are the governing authorities. Consequently, any American political figure who declares himself invested with power, that which was specifically vested in him by the governing authorities, right, the people as expressed through the governing documents, that person actually unlawfully emancipates himself not only from constitutional limits to his authority, but he acts in direct contravention of Scripture by disobeying the governing authorities, that is, the people. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think as well, um, you know, when I think of what's the governing authority of America, yes, I think the people, but it's it's tough to answer to the governing authorities as in the, the those rulers need to answer to the people. But me as a as a citizen, right? I think who's a, who's a higher governing authority, the president or the constitution? It's always the constitution. Right. And 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 when I say people, I we need to be clear, our governing structure is the people we're not a democracy, right? It's not direct, right. it's it's not mob rule. It's the people expressing their wishes through the constitutional system, which is representative, right? And still, both the people and the government are still subject to the governing authority of God. Right? We can't this gets back mm-hmm. to the legitimacy and the authenticity that Darren was discussing. And written Romans thirteen by a guy who was executed for disobeying government orders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so context matters, right? He had a point Big that time. he was making and a, a point that would ultimately cost him his own life yep. as far as a just and an unjust law. Yep. And when it comes back to our own backyard, so I'm intrigued by the idea of, you know, the, 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 the voting path and the, and the entering government path because, I mean, I'm a guy that I've, I would have thought was pretty informed over the years was not until March of 2020 that my eyes were like, wait, this is not the country that I thought that I was Uh in. I'm watching even our local school board and going, wait, how did this happen? And I mean, I feel like an idiot because I should have known because our even entering Independence High School um, back in 2010 was uh, we were turned down by the by the principal who said we don't allow churches in here. Unfortunately, we had a friend that uh, wrote a letter and we were in a few weeks later. But but I should have thought even then, like there was a guy on the school board that always voted no for churches to get into schools, always. But when I look back now going, oh, because Christians like me thought that, that you know, God's answer to, to the world, right, is the church, the local church working together. You know, we can do amazing things together. But then in the same time sort of abdicated our responsibility of local government. So the people that are active in local government are the ones that think the government was the answer to the world, mm-hmm. which va- you know, like the vast majority would have been people that maybe don't have the same worldview or the same principles yep. as we would have. And so that's how you can, in one of the most conservative places on earth, like Williamson County, end up with a school board that was, you know, masking our children long past yeah. you know, the, the time that anybody thought Wait. it was effective or, you know, I pulled my kid out of public school for the very first time. We've never been private school people, but I just couldn't. Uh, but point being, uh, thank you. <laughs> but I just thought, you know, wow, it's going to be okay here because we're in Williamson County. We're going to be fine. And But again, March of 2020, April 2020, I'm realizing, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. It's not what I thought. And so I'm, I wonder if a, an invigorated body of Christ that had previously – uh, left that responsibility to those that we, I don't know, I was i was asleep at the wheel, but a fully awake body of Christ can voting, can getting the right people in the right place and the right, you know, make a, a decided change. And I don't know the answer to that question either, especially on the national level, because that, the, the power is so entrenched. And I, I mean, I could hardly tell the difference between a Republican and a Democrat mm-hmm. in Washington right now. Yeah. It has um, to be local. I mean, bottom line, mm-hmm. the more I, I, I've given two years of my life to this, like, you know, gotten away from a corporate career just to study these things all the way up to an international level. And not to say that I have all the answers, because I, I definitely don't. But the only path, the only path is not going to be, uh, you know, a new presidential election with, you know, some uh, 
freedom fighter conservative in there. It's it's going to have to be at a very local level because it's it's much harder to control the granular nature of all these cities, school boards, uh, you know, city council. All of those things matter, and and I think the other side consciously had a 100-year plan in place from guys like Antonio Gramsci at the Frankfurt School, student of Karl Marx. Mm-hmm. He looked at America from prison, and he wrote his his thesis, basically, and it said, we cannot win in a face-to-face war with that country for two reasons. Number one, the people are armed and they're too strong militarily. They would kill us. Number two, their faith is too strong. There's seven institutions that it's going to take 100 years for us to come like a cancer from within, spread out, mm-hmm. and poison the well of that whole country. And it was everything from the arts. And, and the, so they yeah. took that into john hopkins university and begin to educate the likes of woodrow wilson there you go you know who then became one of the first i think maybe the first president to uh in his inaugural address i believe saying that the uh, the constitution is uh, an evolving document, document. but I, he founded I, the league of nations <clears throat> yeah right but i want to get back to because my thing again is the legitimacy right and and how does the church respond to illegitimate rule because back to what Darren said about the the masking you know that's how I started sort of here in Williamson County is uh raising hell (laughs) (laughs) over what was happening to our kids because I knew and I even got a court to state as such even though they threw me out on on uh procedural uh, procedural standing but acknowledged in the court document that that he could find nowhere in state statute and certainly not our constitution that a local school board had any authority to make these kind of sweeping health policies yet we did it any, anyway and you know again the church's message was well comply and without really diving deep though into what that was really doing to our children these 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 aren't just masks i mean we have emotionally damaged a generation i believe for years to come not not only with the mask but with everything they're being bombarded with so here's here's a here's a question right because i think the church remained and i don't want to want to say silent because yeah we went and we we picketed and we protested and all these things over abortion for years right but why why was it just protests and voting and funding organizations like right to life while we are killing children, using illegitimate state power to allow the murder of children. And so a, a, a more uh, prescient example is we just went into the we just came out of legislative session here in 2023. We passed two bills, one of which uh, was to stop the uh, quote unquote, they call it gender affirming care. We call it child mutilation yeah. in, in these hospitals here in Tennessee. And so we made that illegal. You know, if you're under under 18, a hospital cannot remove your healthy body parts because you think you might be a member of the opposite sex, even though biologically you are not and you never will be. The second thing we did is we passed a law that made it illegal. I think it always has been illegal, but we clarified the law to say that obscene sexual performances in front of minors is illegal. Uh, and and that got called a, a drag queen ban. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I think there's a lot more go, go, that goes on than just drag queens, but, but that's been, again, a, a more modern example. All right. I say all that to say this. 
Number one, whether it's law or not, does the church and and do men have an obligation to step in and protect children from wolves? Right, that that are that are doing this to our kids, regardless of whether or not our legislators have the courage to pass a law. Because here's what's going to happen: everyone's cheering. Oh yeah, it's illegal in Tennessee. Well, hang well, hang on a second. There's already been a court case in the Western District Federal Court out of Jackson, Tennessee. Is a nonprofit from Memphis has already sued the the I think funded by the ACLU. Um, Sued the state of Tennessee over the drag queen ban, we'll call it, and that's all. That that law currently now has been enjoined by the court under emergency order. So just so that everyone knows, uh, that law right now is ineffectual. Okay, so we're back to square one. We're we're leaving it up to the courts to say whether or not we can molest our kids or whatever, how, whatever you want to call it. And then the second thing is the the child mutilation bill, the Biden DOJ has now sued the state and uh, you know we don't know what's going to happen yet in that court case but but I would I'm going to venture to say that this activist court is going to enjoin at least temporarily that law as well so my my question is as christian men outside of the legal maneuvering we've done and 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 working through our legislators to make these things quote unquote illegal uh, and now I guess we're going to leave that up to the courts. We'll say those laws get struck down. Are Christian men just so – so do we just subject our kids to culture and just allow these – that's where I always sit. So how how far do we allow culture and these wolves and evil to go and to attack the family and children while we are – in the midst of prayer and supplication in the church over over our nation, that's my that's my question. I do. Let me offer one um, comment on that, Gary, because it looks like Darren has something to say, and I don't want to cut you off. A lot of the reason for this is it not that we have grown up in an era in which people believed that the government in the United States was good. Yes, right, because mm-hmm. it started. Yeah. as good, right? It started upon proper foundations, biblical foundations. Yep. And over time, that has been even before the last hundred years, right? But especially in the last hundred years, that has not just eroded, it's cratered out, right? And yet you still have generations of people thinking, well, of course the American government is good. It is Christian, right? Air quotes. It is at least operates according to a operates according to the created order, they would say, if they looked at the documents. And so there's a there's a tendency, a very bad habit of just trusting that all of the laws then that emanate from this government are thereby good or righteous and righteous just by virtue of the fact that they've come from this, you know, American factory. Right. That's right. And, that, and we have been seduced into that. But if 2020 and forward has taught us anything, that's not the case. And we've Gary and I have talked about this over and over again. Americans must understand that they are the enemy of the American government. Right. And business is no friend either. Right. So that's that's the other problem that we've stepped in. So many on our side have failed to recognize. I think business is our friend, right? And business is now just the conduit, pardon the pun. I'll take it. Through which the government <laughs> carries out things which would otherwise be unconstitutional. Go ahead. 
you know, the wolves concept that we were talking about that was, we're referring to. I was hoping you'd, you gave a great sermon on that a month or two ago. Yeah, right. Uh, and so this is going to be from somewhat from memory, but, you know, Jesus said that in John 10. And Rome itself, uh, the myth of Rome was that it was uh, founded by Romulus and I think Remus is the twin yep. brother, abandoned by their, their father, orphaned and raised by a wolf. Romulus kills his brother. That's where Rome comes from. Point being that to Rome, the wolf is to us what the eagle is. Like that was their national animal. And if you wander in the streets of Rome, you see uh, this uncomfortable uh, statue of a, of a wolf uh, feeding two young twin boys. But that's the, when, So Jesus is saying to his disciples in a Roman-controlled, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. And John 10, that, that infamous, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy, uh, is most often thought that that's Satan. And sure, that's probably on his business card. But that's not who he was calling the wolf. He was saying the fair, anyone, the Pharisees, anyone who tries to get into the sheep pen, uh, except through, through me, is a thief. And the thief comes not to steal, to kill, and to, to destroy. And so when he refers to, to wolves, to you know, false prophets— uh, it was not an accident. There was a very specific accusation against a government. Against, against the government, governing authorities. The mm-hmm. governing authorities. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Wow. And when you get into Ezekiel and he describes what a wolf does and they prey upon uh, the innocent, they cause uh, women to become widows. And and you look at our governing authorities mm-hmm. and the amount of bodies that have been stacked by them in unjust wars and in uh, – obviously what they're doing medical with children. Tyranny, yeah. The medical tyranny, right? The laptop class was just fine while people were out there, you know, the poorest of the poor bringing our boxes and our lunches. And meanwhile, the the wolves, you know, the uh, was it the CEO of Moderna last week was announced that received a $400 million bonus last yep. year. You know, it was about <laughs> saving lives, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, uh, so much about saving lives that they didn't give any of it to developing nations like Africa or Asia, yeah. they were selling them, but they weren't yeah. giving them because it wasn't about saving lives. It was about money. The the CEOs that uh, the billionaire, you know, laptop class, whatever, like uh, the top that became more wealthy in the last couple of years, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, names that should sound familiar. I mean, just, mm-hmm. you got Jeff Bezos, who owns the Washington Post, one of the premier purveyors of panic porn. That was a lot of peace. <laughs> um, but wait, that gives new meaning to the to PPP, the PPP, the public private partnership. Yes. Who also owns Amazon. So he's got this newspaper saying, everybody stay home. You're going to kill your grandma. Oh, and conveniently, you can then ship everything through my company to your home. And, you know, even with a divorce, he's still doubled his wealth in the last couple of years. That's what a wolf is, right? They are feasting on the innocent, feasting on the poor and the vulnerable, the, the, this idea that even that we shut down schools, countries like Uganda, which we spend an enormous amount of time and energy on, 20%, 30%, somewhere, there, I think it's somewhere between 20 and 30, 25% of the children have disappeared in the last three years. From the, when they reopened schools after two years of being told to keep them shut down, mm-hmm. 25% of millions of children are gone. They, they're either through, they became pregnant, they were forced into marriage. That's, they don't even know where some of them are. They just disappeared because some guy named 
you know, Bill Gates who can't, you know, he makes a software that's it's crap. So right. but suddenly we're giving him authority the, over authority over yeah. healthcare. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm not allowed to comment on it because I'm not an epidemiologist, but Gates is allowed to comment on it and shut down the entire world. Yeah, that's a wolf. And and it contrasts. Mm. If I can go also further into your memory bank, you contrasted it with a shepherd. Yeah. Right. The difference between a wolf and a shepherd is. So give us a little bit about the shepherd then. The characteristics of a wolf are destructive, right? All those things yeah. you list, list from Ezekiel, but a shepherd is known by what? Yeah, I mean, the, so if you've ever been in the Middle East especially, so in the metaphor of a shepherd in our world is uh, this the, the picture of Jesus holding the little lamb, you know, this very meek and demure. That is 100% not what a shepherd looks like in the Middle East, man. They are tough. I mean, they are, because they, there is no, uh, they're leading, when it talks about we're leading them to food, they're not headed to tractor supply to get them feed. <laughs> you know? They don't put them in at night. They are with them and they lead from the front, not the back, because they got to know if there are predators, if there are wolves, if the, you know, that are out there, mountain lions. The reason David killed Goliath was because he could. I mean, mm. you know, he'd already killed bears and lions. And like, so when Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd, he talks about the hired hands. This is all back in John 10, the hired, the hired hands. When he sees the, the predators, he runs away. He doesn't, you know, do anything. And I, I think there was a lot of hired hands that ran and left mm -hmm. the wolves to, you know, to do what they wanted in the last few years. But the, the, the good shepherd, which he refers to himself as, right, st he stays there. He does not abandon his, his sheep. He is at the front of the danger, not the back of the danger. And for us, um, I mean, I'm a pastor, and that's the the metaphor uh, that Jesus uses to refer to pastors as well, right? Which is shepherd, and you know, right. there's to feed the sheep, to take care of them, to protect them. There's all these different roles. And so, yeah, when you're with a sheep, there's a kindness that's required because sheep are kind of a little sensitive, <laughs> uh, turns out. <laughs> it reminds me of that great line, you know the movie The Patriot, right? Mel Gibson? Yeah. 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 What's that in the middle of the of the movie when someone questions the pastor why he's heading off with his rifle? And I forget, my children always know these lines, but he says his job is X, Y, Z, and he names the softer qualities of shepherd, and he said, but at times to fend off the wolves. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll add one more no. thing to, to that so we're not cutting off Jeremy and giving him enough time. It's kind of hard. we got to share yeah. a lot no, this, this is week. Great. There's four people. But it's good. Not only did... Does Scripture refer to um, the wolves, the government as wolves? But Jesus called Herod a fox, right? He says, "Go tell Herod that fox." fox. Yep. So, this we have to disabuse ourselves of this notion that it's all cuddly good and the government's all good. Jesus was very direct 100%. about about the government. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned earlier about the American people and, and believing that because we started as a righteous nation or we started based on God's law, that somehow, even with all that we've seen, there's there's this hypnosis where people still mm -hmm. want to believe that, okay, generally speaking, America's pretty good, right? I would say, and this is somebody that is a patriot that loves this country, and I was just one of the, from, from my birth, I have loved the red, white, yeah. and blue, the whole, the whole deal. And I will say that our federal government right now, the establishment class, is among the most evil mm -hmm. in the world, yep. in the world, because we, were, we, we are so powerful. Well, if Satan can infiltrate a powerful entity, he can take all that could have been good based on that power and make it evil. So around the world, 
I mean, look at, look at Afghanistan. Look at what's happening on our border. I mean, I could go down the line. But what the church needs to do is grow up and wake up and realize maybe the things I was taught about the last 50 years in this country, the big events— Maybe those aren't what I thought they were. And I don't have to get into all that right now, but just look at what Tucker Carlson has been saying since he got fired from Fox, the can of worms that he's opening. And so I, I really encourage people, you need to understand, because I, I, as, a, as a shepherd of a, of a flock, say the flock is my family, my kids, mm-hmm. if I don't believe, if the wolf is telling me I'm an innocent lamb, like, let your kids come pet me. Like, if it looks like a lamb, if I don't really know what it is, the, the whole wolf in sheep's clothing, yep. I'm going to believe it, right? And that's the masking your kids. That's Rochelle Walensky saying, you can now inject your six-month-old. Like, aren't you happy? Right. You know? And um, Mercy. Speaking of wolves, anybody hear the Naomi Wolf podcast? No. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the reason she resigned is, is they were able to uncover she knew that babies were dying. Pfizer knew that that's babies right. were dying. Right. So, you know, again, that's another podcast, but definitely something, it's 15 minutes long. Listen to her most recent podcast. Incredible. Um, so one, we need to understand the truth of, of the wolf, that they're real and that it's in our own government. And number two, I want to say this, we can beat up on men. We can beat up on the church or even the guys in this room saying, well, we're all saying we need to do more, but we're sca- are we scared to do it? The thing is, even if we have a plan, we don't need to say it on a podcast, you know, like, like if we, if we had a plan to push back in a real way, it's not something that we would need to be publicly talking about. I love that point because I actually made this last night. I just, I just have to pull it up here because we're talking about long-term, long-term strategy. First of all, because they've been working for a hundred years. I think a lot of us would like this to end tomorrow. Oh, but, but it, they, it won't. They have a hundred. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. I, no. <laughs> they have a hundred. They have a hundred years. Then our audience does not. We, we don't have the answer. But that doesn't mean that the fight, right, should not be undertaken. And when you're talking about being strategic, but really, uh, Jeremy, really quick though, Kevin, uh-huh. because I want to that. But that see the problem is that's what everybody wants. See, that's the the issue why we need to get people engaged in the fight in things like this is because people. For the last three years, that's that's what I get. Gary, what do we do? And the, the sentiment there is there must be some law we can pass or some switch we can flip that will fix all of this. And, Kevin, to your point that, yeah, we've been doing this for 100 years. You know, the, the, the fix is not going to happen overnight. This is a long, drawn-out, strategic battle to – take back ground that's not only been stolen ground we gave away see that's that's mm-hmm. the that's the part i struggle with ground we willingly gave away because we shirked our responsibility to protect our families to protect the church i'm i'm sorry it's just that that i wanted to say that I remember you making that point on the steps of the Tennessee Capitol building. I I can't remember exactly which rally or whatever, but it was early on when people were waking up in 2020. And I was in the audience, you know, with my little gimbal trying to figure out what am I even doing? (laughs) But I remember you said like, like, this is life now. Don't you guys realize this is our life now? And I was like, I thought there's just a few rallies like, and then we win a vote and then things change. Right. And you helped me realize like, no, this is going to be a long process of change because you're talking about people that have put their entire career into our opposition. Right. They're not going to give up power over one vote or one change of the guard. That ain't happening. No. So when you're talking about not disclosing our intentions, 
Right. Right. So th- this is another something I talked about last night. Considering the erosion of free speech today, is it wise to continue to loudly proclaim our intentions? Or should we take a page from the enemy's playbook using subterfuge and deliberately deceptive means of achieving our advantage? We are engaged in war after all. It will only delay our recovery if we pretend that all we need to do is make our arguments in the marketplace. We need to think like spies. We must use covert operations as part of our long-term strategy. And then I gave this example. Is anyone on our side willing to invest his entire life pretending he is one with the enemy until he achieves maximum business or political position before pulling off his own mask to reveal his true intentions for securing ordered liberty? That's the kind of thinking and courage required if we are to reclaim what has been stolen from us. If we are to recover what T.S. Eliot said has been lost and found and lost again and again and now under conditions that seem unpropitious. Mm -hmm. As you were saying that, I was just thinking, too, what when you think about planning in secret and, and under the kind of under the table, so to speak, what better a place to do that? In the church, I think the the church at least at least churches that are that are real churches like we we've seen during COVID like the wheat being separated from the chaff. I believe, I mean, honestly, I don't think we've in at least going back in modern history, it's hard to find a time where we've seen such clear evidence of who the church is and who the church is not over the past few years. And it's in those churches, I believe, where where we should be having these kinds of discussions and making. Man, I've never heard. Clearly, I need to go back and listen to some of your sermons. I go to a different church, but I have never heard the wolf talked about that way, that that the actual interpretation was he, he was talking about the governing authorities. That I mean, that to me, from I'm just that kind of was mind blowing. That changes everything to me in terms of how I read that and and even further how how because I'm you know, I'm picturing Jesus as as this table turner, right? And I mean that interpretation of that passage even further legitimizes you know that that picture of who Jesus was and what he was trying to do and where he was trying to take people with that message that's just um i'm sitting with that a lot right now because i've never heard that i mean the thing about context as far as scripture goes if you take the well whatever you take the the text out of context all you're left with is a con right. um mm. it's pretty good <laughs> so it's pretty good should write that down. Um, it, and it doesn't just mean the, the passage of which it's, you know, the, the verses before and after. It does mean that, right? But it also means the context like the, in, in which it was being written to begin with. The people who wrote it, what would they have thought that he meant? Right. And, yeah, when you're running around uh, the Roman, you know, empire with uh, wolves everywhere and their statues and their uh, their mythology, you know, it's it's not lost on them, even though it might be lost on us. Honestly, the first time I've really... It struck me. I was in Italy with my wife about four years ago, and I came across that statue and thought, "That is a wild statue." So, you know, sent me down this rabbit hole, and then going back and reading, you know, through John, and realizing, "Oh, that's Jesus is talking about wolves," and even the idea that you know the the the, like the Pharisees who were another. It was a theocratic, like they were sort of outsourcing their authority. Rome outsourced their authority. You know, they they conquered much more like the Babylonians, right, than the Assyrians, and that they would seduce them by. You know, allowing them to have their own little sub-governments and whatever. That's a whole, again, a whole other podcast for that. But, you know, he is still under Roman rule and still 
the, you know, the wolves that are there and then the Pharisees and, you know, the John 10, 10, the other thief comes uh, to steal, to kill, destroy. I've come, you might have life, have it more abundantly. I, I thought for years he was talking about Satan, but that's clearly not what he's hmm. talking about. He says it's, here's who the thief is. The yep. thief is the, the, anyone that's coming into the sheep pen, except through, through me, that's, that's who your thief is. And that's the thief that's come to steal, to kill and to destroy. And at the end of the day, that that is 100% what governments throughout history left unchecked, stealing, killing, and destroying. Yep. I mean, I spend a, a lot of time in East Africa, and I've seen what the Chinese government is doing there. I've seen what our corporations are, are doing mm-hmm. there. I'm, I'm, there's, it's finally starting to get some press here in America, but very little in that just the, the, the you know, the... The stuff needed to make this phone I'm holding in my hand is being made by child slaves. Mm-hmm. And in our country that we're being told that, you know, we, we are about, you know, equality and, and tweeting from our phones that are paid for by slaves. Like, you, you're not yeah. about equality. Right. You, 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 total contradiction. Total hypocrisy uh, from it. And so, the, again, the wolves are, are there. And from, you know, as best I can tell, you know, Jesus is response to that was not go and hide from the wolves, but go out in the midst of, I'm sending you in the midst of these mm-hmm. wolves. So I'm going to send you out to them, not to go hide yep. from them. And so for us, you know, we, we definitely need the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. We need the courage of, you know, the fire. I mean, that's the whole point of the Holy Spirit to begin with, is to give you power to be my witnesses, mm-hmm. not to cower up in, yep. in, in corners. And part of that is to stand up, especially in the face of blatant lies, blatant hypocrisy. We were already scheduled to reopen, but uh, some of you might remember it was uh, April of 2000 or 2020 when we hosted an event at the, the Ag Center. We called it Beyond Our Walls. It was like 30 churches yeah, the, that the came par- together. The parking lot service. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we, I mean, we did it quickly. There were some great pastors involved in that. Uh, we did it again in May. And People were, you know, you know, writing hit pieces, tweeting ugly things about, you know, this horrible thing that's happening. And literally simultaneously, they're protesting downtown Nashville, yes. burning buildings, and throwing rocks. Yeah. And there's people with white coats in the middle of those protests. And I had already, I was awake by that point, but that was the moment. Okay, that's a, if, if that's a wolf if I've ever seen it, which is if the cause is important enough, you're allowed to be together, but we're going to decide which cause mm-hmm. is important enough. So you guys all go home down in Williamson County. Yep. The 10,000 Christians in your cars that are, you know, yep. trying our best to follow whatever. But downtown, as long as the, 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 the if we decide what's important enough, and if it's important enough, then you can gather. The, okay, this is not about the science at all. Yep. This is about control. It's about a narrative. And, uh, and, you know, and again, when it comes to the wolves, I learned, you know, during that era that I guess I should have known. But, you know, 85% of, you know, white coat uh, medical experts hold to a extraordinarily progressive liberal yeah. ideology and they're the ones that were telling us you got to shut down you can't sing you can't 85 percent of them come from that background so of course they're not interested in our freedom or in whether it was right or wrong it was they were trying to shut us down before now this is a shortcut to shutting it down can i say something i i'm looking at the clock and realizing darn we're this is another one that we can have overtime in in the future and so i hate to cut you off just because of the clock but the clock is the clock yeah i, I want to end with a, a compliment to you darren for this reason you know a lot of people listening to our podcast might be surprised to say well darren's just 
really come awake to these things in the last three years, right? <clears throat> I so appreciate, and I know my family does, your humility in acknowledging that fact, because there are a lot of pastors in our community that if they would just admit that, would find that their churches would start growing again and would not be living in fear. And and I've seen a lot of pastors who either privately may say, yeah, I know we did the wrong thing. Well, then admit it, right? Admit it to your church and admit that maybe you really didn't understand that the government was against you. That humility, it comes through to you. And that's what's made you attractive to me and to our family. So I wanted to compliment you on that because you always talk about, you know, we're about the same age, we're in our 50s, right? It's hard to do when you get older. It's hard to admit those things, but that is compelling and it means a lot. And I and I I would appeal to other pastors, you would have real warmth in your churches if you if you would just admit admit this and be humble to admit it and 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 go the right direction now because a lot can change when you do that. Absolutely. I, I just want to say Darren though, I don't find you attractive. So I just want to be, well, the lighting is bad in here. I say, <laughs> I, Actually, maybe the lighting's really good. It, it's, it's <laughs> by, it, it, even even the despite the clock, I want to I want to take just a, a couple more moments to to say also recently because we're talking about the church engaging here in Franklin, Tennessee. We had the Frank the vote for the the Franklin Pride, the Boma vote, mm-hmm. and now another closing thought. I I just want to hear from you as a local pastor on this. We we went in. Uh, you were you at both meetings? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Uh, and I, I think I think the the showing up of the the church and the local pastors was a little bit higher the second meeting. Yes, it was. We had a good turnout. I felt um, could have been better, but after all of that activism, after all of that, which I think ninety percent of the folks that showed up were asking their elected representatives to cancel this permit, do not allow this festival to take place in our community. And, you know, the city council voted 4-4, the mayor broke the tie, and they allowed the permit. Yep. How I, I just, in, in a close, how do we as the church, and I, and I know you don't have the perfect answer for that. I'm not expecting the perfect answer. But how do we as the church walk away? Because that's what I'm trying to answer. <laughs> how do we effectively walk away from that and just say, well, okay, I guess our elected officials are going to allow you know, our communities and our families to be subjected to this. I guess we lost. Let's take our ball and go home. You know, on the heels of a transgender shooting, by the way. Yeah. Right. All, right. At, right all at the, time. Yeah. <laughs> so what does the church do with that sort of man, Gary, if I knew the answer to that, I'm reminded that back to beyond our walls, I, I called a lot of friends who are pastors and, asking you guys want to get I was so excited and was genuinely surprised at either the no response at all or someone saying something like uh that sounds like you guys got a tea party rally going on down there we really don't want any part of that I'm like what are you even talking about you know me like you know me and then again when it came so fast forward three years later here like I was working the phones like a politician, man, like with um, fellow pastors and encouraging them to be there. And again, either no response. And and, and, and at the same time, I, look, people are busy. They got soccer games and they, you know, family and I get all that. And some of it was that and there probably were legitimate, you know, reasons 
but when I heard one of the councilmen say that, yeah, it's like, you know, 50 to 50, it was like 50, 50 in my inbox like, from pastors. So there was no clear consensus on it. I'd like to see the inbox, yeah. first of all, see if right. he was even telling the truth. But then I'd like to see who, okay, who are these quote unquote pastors that he's mm -hmm. talking about? Because I tell you, there's a whole bunch of pastors that I know that were not for it. They just weren't there for one reason right. or another. But I, the answer of what do we do about it is we have to like remain engaged in that and not forget who the city council votes were that were for it and hold them accountable in the next election. And it's going to, I'll tell you, I'll say this, the question of like, what's the job of a pastor? You know, there are pastors who I love and respect who would say something along the lines of, well, that's really not my thing. I'm only supposed to teach the Bible. And that's what, and by the way, that's probably what their seminary taught them or what, you know, uh, and, and not all of them are hillbillies or white trash like me where, you know, we're just, we were born fighting, you know? Um, <laughs> and so, you know, but, that, but that's their... Or from Nebraska. Or from Nebraska, yeah. You know, they, they just weren't born into that. And so some of it is like, I'm kind of, I'm nudging them out in, you know, to it. And at the same time, trying to keep my own heart in check, you know, that I'm not out there just picking fights for no, no reason. But the, the question of what is a pastor's job, which is part of the reason I brought up that shepherd thing is, it isn't all warm and, and cuddly and, and fluffy mm -hmm. and to it's like a paradigm shift. So I don't know if it's going to require uh, a whole new set of uh, pastors that are younger that don't know that they're supposed to be quiet, quote unquote. They don't uh, get they haven't gotten them and they don't get the rules. Yeah. Right? I remember Rob McCoy. Um, I don't know if you guys ever had Rob on your show. He's fantastic. Uh, he was the mayor of Thousand Oaks, uh, Godspeak Calvary Chapel, right. ballsy guy. Yep. You know, he said something to me that was really because he's a Calvary Chapel guy, and he was like, "Darren, you know, Calvary Chapels are the largest churches on the West Coast, like for the last thirty years, right. massive." And he's right, massive mm -hmm. churches. But our theology said, you know, the rapture is coming. This is all God's will, so we can't really do anything anyway. So we're just going to grow the church, and we're going to. And he's and what he says, uh, which got me was, is California better or worse than it was thirty or forty years ago? Mm -hmm. The, the ma massive churches, are we better or worse? And yeah, that was, uh, like for me, like okay, say no more, Rob. Yep. Because that's, it shouldn't be that. It doesn't have to be that way. And, you know, I don't know. I, I try not to be nihilistic and, and cynical. I don't think it's too late for right. our country. Sometimes I wonder. Sometimes I wonder if, you know, the future is, you know, pockets of resistance or if it's right. different countries inside of each state. I don't know. I, I just know that. But that's not our job, right? Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> again, T.S. Eliot, for us, there's only the trying. The rest is not our business, right? The Bible says. Yeah, right. That's good. We're called to obedience. Yeah. Um, Nothing is not the right answer. Yeah, that's absolutely. For sure. And Gary, to answer your question, and we've talked about this, whatever we do, we must live in accordance with what we believe. And the problem is people do exactly what you described. They, they rally, and then when they lose, they capitulate to whatever the loss has established in the law. This is the new law, so I'm going to comply with it. no. We must do what Martin Luther King advocated, which is we cannot comply with unjust laws. In fact, when we comply with unjust laws, we're disobeying God. So Christians also have to move from this sense of, oh, it's just neutral. I'm just going to obey the law. No, we must obey righteous laws. But when we know the laws are unrighteous, we don't have the 
privilege of sitting on our laurels and just saying, well, I got to go along with. We actually have a proactive duty to disobey, civil disobedience, right? I'm not calling for violent Mm -hmm. insurrection. Jesus was against that. He was a friend of insurrectionists, but he was not an insurrectionist. But civil disobedience, we must be about. We've got to learn it. All right, I'm ready. Let's go. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Great having you. Yeah, it was fun, guys. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit TennesseeStands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. As Thomas Paine reminded us, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it. 